0: Well, here we are in Acts chapter 3, and for the next two weeks, we are going to be considering a miracle and its impact on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, if you've been studying through Acts with us, one of the the most memorable verses in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, hey, you're going to receive power, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you You people, now that I'm leaving, you people are going to be my witnesses. And the first place that he says that you're going to be empowered to be witnesses is in Jerusalem. This city that they're all part of. Now when Jesus first said that to them, they didn't really understand what that was going to look like. But as we've seen here in these past few weeks as we're studying through the book of Acts, we realize, okay, the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower them. And a couple of weeks ago we saw how even supernaturally he was going to give them language to speak to the others in the the region, the the people that had gathered into Jerusalem. So that's going to take place. Um, And then last week we saw that part of the way that they would witness to their, their surrounding city was going to be that they were going to be empowered to be the church. That's what Tony shared with us last week. And they began living like a church. For the first time, they were devoting themselves to the the teaching and the the disciplines and the the doctrines of what was the start of the church. And from that, their their circle began to grow. All right? And now, we're going to see this miracle take place that's going to add to the witness of what's going on. All right? Now, before we jump into it and read it, miracles by definition, are a little bit baffling, right? I mean, that's why we call it a miracle. It's because we can't really understand or explain all that was involved in this taking place. They have mystery built into them. That's why they're a miracle. And even if we have a lot of the surrounding details figured out, when something is miraculous, it really leaves us with no explanation, all right? And some of the things that are really commonplace today would have seemed miraculous to the people of of the first century. Here's an example. My mom lives 2,005 miles away from me. And in about 15 seconds, Apple Maps gave me a route of how I could drive from my house to her house, 2,005 miles away. That's pretty stunning, guys. I mean, for somebody from the first century, and you're gonna describe to them this 2,000 mile route, and you're like, yeah, here in 15 seconds, I can tell you exactly how you get there. They're like, what? All right, even more awe inducing is the fact that I could pull out my phone right now and talk to my mom face to face, 2,005 miles away, on a little FaceTime call, right? I mean, even when I was a kid, that was like space age stuff. Of like, really? We're going to be able to do that? we have this phone that we could just pop up? That's like Star Wars or something with a little hologram popping up. Right? Yeah. These are things that now we're like, well, yeah, I, I can't believe this Wi-Fi. Like, it's not letting me do what I need to. Like, it's all normal to us. If we had done this 2,000 years ago, people would have been like, where are you from and what is going on right now? This is miraculous. Now, the reason those things don't seem so miraculous anymore is because the mystery surrounding those things has been figured out, right? The the compilation of worlds of information and education and experience and science and research has allowed us to do some of these things and erase some of that mystery. What's fascinating to me is that many of the miracles that Jesus and his followers performed in the first century would still be considered miraculous today. And I think that was on purpose. God has the big picture. He knows what's going on. He knows what certain things can happen that were never going to be figured out by humanity. Grace agrees. I love it. Right? And so that's, today what we're going to see is we're going to see how some of these things um, took place and why. All right? So let's begin here. Chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, now Peter and John, these are two of the apostles, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, I'm already going to stop you there just for a second because I want to give you a little bit of the setting of what's going on. Now, traditionally, the devout Jews of this time, of the first century, would pray three times a day, all right? Nobody actually knows historically, the historians go back, they don't really know when they kind of got into that tradition, but by the first century, it was pretty common for them to have these set three times of prayer. Um, some think it goes back to Psalm uh, chapter 55, verse 17. This was a Psalm of David. When David wrote this, he said, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. <laughs> now, it doesn't sound like the most fun prayers happening. <laughs> But what he's describing is this three times a day where he's like, I'm going to God and God's listening to me. And because they revered King David so much, the author of the psalm, some say, wow, if it was good enough for David to pray three times a day, I should probably pray t- three times a day too. And so it was very common for the, the Jews of this time to pray three times a day. And I say, that's a great habit to be in. You know, uh, many of us have kind of a, a, a just a tradition that's been handed down where we pray before we eat, and many of us eat three times a day. Um, I'd really like to eat three times a day if I can pick, right? And and it's a great time to just say, hey, I'm going to habit stack. I'm going to put this habit with the others. I'm already going to eat three times a day. What if I seek the Lord three times a day, and I set my heart and mind on Him, even if it's just for a second? It's a good habit. It's not somewhere in Scripture that says you must pray three times a day. It's not there, but it's just what was happening, all right? And, and so that's what was taking place here. The, Peter and John, they're heading up to the, the afternoon prayer session. Now, the way that the, the Jews of this day numbered their day was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., all right? That was the day. Anything before that was night or after that was night, all right? So by dawn, roughly 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., that was their day. So the first hour of the day was 6 The sixth hour of the day, halfway through, was noon. So right here where we see this, where it says they're going up to the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it's about 3 p.m. Okay? Uh, The twelfth hour then would be six again. Got it? All right? So it's about three in the afternoon that they're coming here to the temple. And this was also the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple. Okay? So this would have been a very busy time of day around the temple. Many people would take a break in their day to come pray at the temple at this time. And that's important to understand what's about to take place here. all right? So it's busy. It's the time of prayer. Everybody's flocking into the temple. They're heading that way. Everybody's there to pray. And here's what it says in verse 2. It says, And a man, lame from birth, meaning he could not walk, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Okay, there was no social security back in these days, okay? There was no government assistance programs. So those who had disabilities like this man had to survive on the generosity of other people in the community. That's the only way they could get by, okay? And this would have been a very common routine for a man like this who had never been able to walk. In fact, what we'll see later is the, the crowd, they're, they're going to recognize this guy. They recognize him because he's always sitting at the same place on, in the gate there when they come through. So they've seen this guy day in, day out for years, okay? Now, it says there um, that it was at the beautiful gate. So I've got a little um, picture here for you today. ...to see of this temple, I think, I hope, I really do, I promise. Temple, there it is. Okay, now, this right here, what we've got in front of us, it's not actually the real temple, okay? This is, in fact, for those of you who are going to be headed to Israel in June, we have an Israel trip in June, you can all go... um, we're going to see this very model. This is actually a scale replica of the old city of Jerusalem, okay? And so this is an artist's rendition of Herod's temple, which is the temple that is established uh, during Jesus' time, okay? There was Solomon's temple. There was the tabernacle first. Then there was Solomon's temple. Then there was Herod's temple, the big temple when Jesus is around, okay? Now, this temple was a, this magnificent uh, building. Uh, Herod started it in around nine, 19... Um, the year nineteen, and didn't finish it until between sixty-two and sixty-four, they think, and and it so about forty years it took to build this thing, and then it was destroyed by seventy. Okay, so the full temple was only in existence for a, a, a handful of years, but it was this incredible temple. Okay, now when he says here, that he's sitting at the the beautiful gate. Scholars kind of argue about this. Scholars like to argue. That's what they do. Um, they don't know which gate that actually was, because obviously the temple's not there anymore. I will say this. When you go now to the Holy Land and you can go around the Temple Mount, you can see some of the foundation stones of this temple still in place. It's amazing. But, the the guess is, it's either this little golden gate right here that you see, or it could be this gate right here. Some say it was the Shushan Gate. Others say it was the Gate of Nicanor. Nobody really knows. But it was most likely, they say, one of the eastern gates, because this is the way people would usually enter into the temple. And then these different little court areas, this is the the holy place. The Holy of Holies was inside here. There were these different levels. This was the court of the Gentiles out here. Anybody could come and hang out here. Then there was the the other courts as you entered in farther and farther into the temple. So either he's sitting out here somewhere... Or maybe he was sitting in here on these steps. We don't really know. But it was an obvious place that was kind of a a main thoroughfare of everybody coming in. All right? So can you picture this? There's this man sitting here outside the gate. All right. Now, here's what it says there in verse 5. It says, and he, this is the man, um, I'm sorry, uh, verse 4. And it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him. So Peter looks at this man, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. What was happening here? All right, this guy's just going through his usual routine. He's, he's just, you know, the motions of life, of the life of a beggar. So what is he doing? He's sitting out here, maybe with his hand up, a cup, a hat, I don't know. He's just looking for handouts. He's just looking for anything that people might throw his way. And Peter and John kind of interrupt his routine a little bit. And how do they do it? They say, look at us. <laughs> look, at up, look up here, up here. Now, why wouldn't he make eye contact with these strangers? And I'm just guessing here. But probably because th- this guy was a pretty broken man. And I don't just mean physically. This guy, think about it. He spent his entire life trying to live off the generosity of other people. You know what that's like? You'll pull up to a stoplight sometime, and you see somebody who's looking for a handout. And a lot of times, they're just hoping that somebody will even look at them. But sometimes, they don't even want to look either, right? Because there's, there's shame associated with this. This poor guy is just like, man, somebody, please just give me this and, and go on about your business. You don't look at me, I won't look at you. We'll just make this transaction as painless as possible and move on. It's a really heavy thing looking into this guy's life. His life had been hard. He didn't have the opportunities everyone else did. He was, I mean, I hate to put it bluntly, he was at the bottom of the food chain. But that's the way it was, needing to live off of other people's scraps. He was in a hard place. But look what happens in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, this definitely caught this man off guard. <laughs> He's not expecting this. He's just doing what he always does. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sitting at the temple. I'm hoping to get a little money for dinner. That's it. And there was no, at least no recorded uh, conversation here, no warning. No sermon about faith or healing. Peter and John didn't say, ask him questions, nothing about his background, nothing. It, what we, what it seems to be here is that Peter just basically grabbed him by the hand and yanks him up. And, and when he does this, when, when, when he's healed and this man's on his feet for the first time and he realizes what happened, what's he do? He just erupts with praise and worship. And he starts heading into the temple, and he can't even stop, control himself. He's like, what's just going on? And he's he's not just walking. He's leaping. He's jumping up and down. And he's praising God, making all kinds of noise. And everybody in the temple is like, it's just afternoon prayer time. What's going on, you know? The charismatic kid came in today. And they look, and they're like, oh, my gosh, that's the guy from the gate. That's this guy we've been seeing. Wait, I thought he was crippled. He doesn't look crippled to me. He's supposed to be lame. Is this guy faking all this time? All of a sudden, people are asking, and they're astonished, and they realize, no, this guy's been healed. This is what's going on here. Now, remember, we're all broken people when Jesus finds us, aren't we? Now, we may not be physically disabled but we all suffer from the effects and brokenness of sin in our lives. And it is appropriate, I want to point that out here today, it's appropriate for our healing to result in praise. This guy was not out of line for jumping up and down and praising the Lord. Why? Because he knew what God had just done. And, and, and he was praising him because of it. And I really want to challenge us with this, too, because sometimes, you know, especially as you've walked with the Lord for a long time, your, your memory of your conversion or your salvation, your memory of the life that you used to lead, that God's rescued you from, your memory of the way that you've been transformed, sometimes it gets a little fuzzy. But we need to remind ourselves of what God's done. And out of that, we should be living lives of praise, when we gather together in and, and a, a, a time to worship the Lord, we should be singing at the top of our lungs. If we're saved people, we're people that have been transformed and people that have been changed, people that have been rescued for eternity. We have a reason to praise. We have a reason to be thankful to the goodness of God, don't we? All right, now here's what I want to show you about this miracle here. Um, this was a miracle with a purpose. And I, I want to just point out two of the, the purposes here in this. The first one is the obvious one. Uh, this beautiful miracle changed that man's life forever. All right, And that was part of the purpose of this miracle. That was part of why God sent Peter and John to that man at that gate on that, mor- that afternoon. That his life would be changed forever. Because now for the first time... He'd be able to learn to support himself, maybe learn a trade, get a job for the first time in his life. It would have given him a dignity that he didn't have before. It would have given him a freedom to finally go where he wanted. Did you notice he was carried to that spot? That's the only way he would get there every day. Other people, family members, friends, had to carry him physically everywhere he went. But now he's got that freedom to do what he wants to do, and it would have filled him with hope for the future and that's a huge part of this miracle. That was part of the purpose, that this man's life would be changed. Secondly, the miracle in this man's life had a wider purpose than it did for just him personally. The miracle was used as a tool to shine a, spite, a spotlight, not on the man healed, not on even those who performed the healing, but as we're going to see, he was going to shine a spotlight on the one who provided the power for healing the miracle pointed back to God because part of the reason a miracle is a miracle is that it just doesn't happen every day okay the guys in the the people that were hanging out in the temple didn't see this man and like oh you know he must have got that new you know medication that I heard about oh he must have you know saw this person or that person oh the surgery finally took place and now he's good to go it's all fine no 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 this is a miracle this didn't happen Well, and so immediately the questions are going to come. Well, how did this happen? Where did this come from? What's the power? What do you mean? He couldn't walk his whole life and now he's walking. It's pointing back to God. Now... Let's look here at what happens now that everybody's filled with wonder and amazement. People are gathering around in the temple. Here's the man in the middle of them. They all recognize him. This is the guy. He's jumping up and down and praising God. And this gives Peter an opportunity to speak. Look at verse 11. It says, And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's one little, uh, like a covered porch area in the temple um, the temple complex. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Oh come on, Peter. You know why we're wondering at this? It's a miracle, right? But he's just he's setting them up here. He says, "Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk?" And here's where he drops it on him. "The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers." glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate whom he had decided to re- when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, instead of taking glory to themselves, or, or uh, you know using it as an opportunity to launch their brand, or announce the grand opening of their church, Instead of doing any of that stuff, which would work pretty well, hi, I'm Peter, and next Saturday, Sunday morning, you can come and join us, and we'll talk, right? He didn't do any of that. What does he do? He goes right to it and says, "It's don't look at me. Don't even look at this guy. It's God. And the one we're talking about here, the reason this is happening is because of Jesus. And in case you weren't sure about the Jesus I'm talking about, you remember that guy with Pilate a little while ago? the one you denied and asked for this murderer to be released instead, the one that got crucified, that Jesus, same guy, everybody's with us. And they're like, yeah. He rose from the dead, and we've seen it. And it's by that same power that this man is now healed. And, and at first, you know, they're starstruck by the whole thing. This is amazing. This is so cool. This is so great. Until he says that. And as soon as he says, uh, yeah, the one you killed, the author of life. Can you imagine that, how, how you would feel? Well, think about this. How would you feel if you inadvertently killed someone? I mean, gosh, let's just imagine this. Let's say we're all on a bus together, and we're all driving along on this bus, and somebody steps off a curb and gets hit by the bus and dies. I'll tell you what, I would feel terrible even if I wasn't the one driving the bus, right? Just being part of it in the situation at the same time, like, I would have so much guilt. It's like, man, if we had just waited another 30 seconds to get on the bus, if I had you know, not been talking so loud back here, then maybe the bus driver would have seen him. Like, there's all kinds of things that would come along with that. These people didn't directly kill Jesus, but they still felt the guilt. Graciously, though, Peter didn't leave them there. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, and now, brothers, I know... That you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And here he comes, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the gospel message. It's the good news. All right? It's the same message that was preached in the temple courts on that afternoon is the same message that we preach today. The very same thing. Very same thing. What what the gospel message says, the world is ignorant of its sin. It it doesn't know what it's doing. It's trying to figure things out. Right? And let's not just generalize it with an it. They. They. These are the people that you work with, the people you live next door to, the people you stand in line at the checkout, at the store. So many of the people in this world around us are ignorant of their sin. Most people are just trying to be good people and try to get by and try to figure it out and try to have a little fun in the process. That's most of what people are are doing. But what the gospel message says is, no, no, you're actually separated from God. That's that emptiness, that void in your soul. There's a gap between you and your creator. But there's good news. Even though your sin separates you from God, God, because he loved you so much, would send his own son to make a way that that relationship could be restored. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. The good news is you don't have to stay in your sin. You can be free. You can be transformed. You can be healed. You can be made whole. That's what he's describing here. That's the gospel for every purpose, every person. And that miracle then had a purpose. It changed a person's life, but it also pointed many people to God by pre- creating this platform to share the gospel. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to see... Um, about the outcomes of these events, how it all plays out. But today, we're not done yet. Don't give up yet. Don't, Don't fold up your Bibles, right? Because I want to spend a little more time with miracles. Because when we read a story like this, you're like, okay, well, that's kind of nice. A miracle happens, and some guy gets changed, and then, you know, the gospel goes out. All right. That's, that's interesting. That's good. Um, but, you know, what, what else is, is going on when you think about a story like this? What does the story kind of stir up in you? Because here's what I've, I, I think is probably true. I think that there are three types of people when you start talking about miracles. You've got some people that just believe it outright. They're like, this is the Bible. This is God's word. I believe it. If it's in there, it's good enough for me. No problem. No problem. Man, God bless you guys. You're awesome. You're just people of faith, right? Then there's the other people that are full-on skeptical. Yeah, I could write that down too. Let me tell you the story about Cinderella, okay? Right? And and they're like, it's just a fairy tale like anything else. No guy got healed from being actually crippled. Like, there's no way that happened. And so they, they approach it that way. All right, and then you've got the other people, and this is where I usually find myself before I come to belief in in things like this. It's more kind of neutral. It's like we suspend our, our unbelief for a minute like, well, could it have happened? I mean, it's certainly, you know, is there a God? Like, if there is a God, then obviously he's got a greater power than we can understand. And if, if I could comprehend everything that God does, then he really wouldn't be God, or else I would be God, and I know I'm not God. So, right, and there's all this kind of mental g- gymnastics that goes on, right? When reading the Bible, I think it's good to pay attention to your thoughts and your feelings um, about what you read. Because it, this sometimes opens up an opportunity for the Lord to speak into your life through his word. Okay, this is what I mean by that. When we read the Bible and we study the Bible, we're not just looking for information. All right? We're, we're not. We're also looking for God to give us instruction. Okay, we're looking for God. We're asking God. God, in his word, he declares that that his word is alive, that there's something to this book, that this is actually divinely inspired, and there's something more to it than just pen on paper. All right, and so when we approach the Bible and we look at these things, even things that uh, confront us and we may feel conflicted about when we read them, We're not just gathering the information of, yeah, I know it says that. We're actually looking to say, okay, God, if this is true, if this is your word and you want to say something to me in it and through it, what is it that you want to teach me? What is it that I'm being confronted with? How do I feel about this? Because the Bible doesn't just change what we know, it changes what we believe. And there's a difference there, okay? So here's here's the question, Did these miracles of scripture happen? When we look at a a, a miracle like this, did it really happen? I believe, personally, from the historical evidence that we have, that it is clear that Jesus came performing signs and miracles, all right? And that his followers did the same. Now, if you don't believe that, start studying there. There's a lot of great stuff that we'll go through and talk about the um, authenticity of Scripture and the the facts behind why historians even believe that these things were true, all right? We don't have time this morning to go through down that whole path, but start there if that's where you're at. But the question for most of us here today, um, because I think most of us here are believers in God and that God has power to do these sorts of things— Most of us, the question for today isn't, well, did he do it then? It's, does God still do miracles today? Does he? Does he do miracles, still do miracles today? Well, the Bible does tell us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's in Hebrews, right? And and if he has the power, then does he do it? And if so, why don't we see them all the time? Because that's another follow-up question that happens a lot. Because let's face it, it seems like it would be a whole lot easier to get the message of the gospel out in the same way that they did, right? I could say, hey, guys, next Sunday, let's just go meet over at Walmart, and we're going to look for a miracle to take place, and we're going to do a miracle, and then we're going to preach, and you guys are all going to go out and share the gospel with all the people that are in Walmart. We're going to save all of Walmart and go. Or no, better yet, let's all meet over at Sharp Chula Vista at the hospital, and we're going to start on the top floor, and we're going to walk down, and we're going to heal everybody in the place, and just clear them out. And then the following week, you know, we're going to have a huge crowd of people, right? Hey, it sounds good to me. So why doesn't that kind of stuff happen? What's going on here? Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God does still do miracles today, but I think that there are several misunderstandings about miracles, okay? And I hope we've got time. We do. We've got time. I'm going to give you four, what I'm calling four mistakes about miracles. And these were the mistakes about miracles that happened back then, and they still happen now. Okay? So the first one of these mistakes about miracles is a wrong emphasis. What happens here, and what could have happened here, even in in Acts chapter 3, is that sometimes people assume that the miracle... Is what really matters. So they want to chase the miracle. The emphasis is on the fireworks, the awesome thing. If I told you guys, hey, yeah, next week at at the hospital, we're doing healings, you know, many of you'd be like, I want to go see that. (laughs) Let's let's do it. (laughs) Let's go over there. But but that's 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 an error if that's what we're after. God told his people through the prophets that the Messiah would come working signs and wonders. And then Jesus came working signs and wonders. He was fulfilling prophecy and signaling the arrival of the kingdom of God breaking in. But even then, um, still, these miracles were meant to get people's attention focused on God. Sometimes they did, but sometimes they didn't. A lot of times, what would happen is people would focus on the gift rather than the giver of the gift. Here's an example. Most of you have heard the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Um, They're out in the wilderness somewhere, and a huge crowd of people have come to hear Jesus speak, and Jesus looks out at the crowd, about 5,000 people out there, and he asks his his disciples, Hey, guys, how are we going to feed all these people? And they're like, Jesus, eh, it's 5,000 people. We're not even close to a town. What do you mean? Like, we got, you know, five loaves of bread and a couple fish, He's like, yeah, that'll work. What's he do? He takes those in, he blesses them, breaks them, and passes them out, and they end up pulling in 12 baskets full of leftovers, right? You remember the story? Um, There in John chapter 6, it's interesting because what Jesus says is, here's the problem with that, guys, when he's talking to the disciples. He's like, they were really just after the bread, the earthly bread, not the spiritual bread, what I was really trying to give them. Their focus was on the miracle, because the next day what happened after Jesus sent them all away after feeding them, the next day the crowd comes back looking for Jesus. And that's when he says, well, they're not really looking for me. They're looking for another free lunch. That's what they're after. He says this in John six twenty six to 27. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Do you see the point? If the miracle itself is the focus, we have the wrong emphasis. People often pursue miracles for the ecstatic experience or the personal gain. And that's the same mistake that those people made. If we're just chasing miracles for the sake of miracles... We're missing the point. Okay, second mistake is that oftentimes people have the wrong perspective. When we read Acts, and I, I warned you about this when we did an introduction on Acts, we read Acts, it seems like miracles are happening nonstop, all the time. Like right after this, then that happened, and this happened, and Jesus walking on water, and this is happening, and have got people raising from the dead, and that person being healed, and demons are being cast out, and you're like, whoo, it was wild back in those days, Right? But they didn't happen all the time in the first century. And so why would they happen that way now? Now, miracles certainly were more concentrated around Jesus and his ministry. But seeing the highlights of the Gospels or the book of Acts condensed shouldn't make us expect to see miracles daily. Because they wouldn't be miracles then, would they? Now, I do think there are probably miracles happening daily around the world right now but it's spread through a population of 8 billion people. And they come in a lot of shapes and forms. But it's a mistake to think that God's goal is to see nonstop miracles in the world. That's a mistake. This world is passing away. So it it isn't the main thing. Miracles are meant to point people to God and His plan of salvation that's what Jesus was teaching them. Later on there in the same chapter in John 6, Jesus said this. He said, for this is the will of my Father that everybody experiences miracles every day. No, <laughs> that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Miracles mean way more to us than they do to God. I know that's kind of a hard statement to make. But he sees the big perspective. This life is temporary, and so are miracles. Have you ever thought about the fact that those who were healed by Jesus from their diseases eventually died? Even Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead, he died again later, right? They're temporary. So yeah, God wants to bless us here and there and do some of those sorts of things, but that's not the main point. That's not what he's after. He's not hoping, oh, there's just miracles flying all over earth. Now they really love me. No, he's like, I want your souls to be with me for eternity. That's the part that matters. Third, we also come to wrong conclusions. And you see this one a lot. Um, And that is that miracles must accompany people of faith. You read the New Testament and you see a miracle like this, and you're like, oh, that, that miracle happened because Peter and John, they were real people of faith. And if we had faith like Peter and John, then we'd be doing miracles too. And your whole problem is you just, you just don't have enough faith. If you just had some, some better faith, you too could be doing miracles. And, and unfortunately, people that teach that say, hey, if miracles aren't happening, then all the people around must have a flawed faith. And you see this, unfortunately. You see many self-proclaimed prophets or apostles coming around with these ministries. And they'll be doing this. It's, a, it's Miracle Night. You know, come, come and see Miracle Night. And they'll do all this stuff. And, and basically, if, if it's not happening, they're like, oh, well, your city's really dark and really hard. You know, and the places that the other cities that I go to where they have real people of faith, now we're seeing some real action happen. But you guys, you're, you know, you're like third, fourth class Christians. Work on it. I'll come back around next year. I'm going to double my fee this time but but when I come back we're going to make this happen right but it's 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 sad and and I believe that this type of teaching is not just discouraging but it's damaging and misleading um I had a friend whose whose mom several years now ago um died of cancer and she was a sweet woman of faith and so so was his dad her her, her husband and and they loved the lord and she got diagnosed with this heavy cancer and and um they they just said, well, we're not going to do any sort of medical treatment. We're just going to pray. We believe we're people of faith. We know that we're going to get a miracle and I'm going to be healed of this cancer. And so they that's what they did. They prayed, they prayed, and her health continued to decline and decline and decline. And it was so hard for the the kids saying, mom, dad, like this is a curable cancer. Like let's deal with this. Let's work on this. You know, God can heal in other ways too. In medicine, like no, no, no. He's going to do a miracle. We have we're people of faith. Sadly, she died, you know. And and the worst part is she died feeling like she had somehow failed God and not having enough faith because she wasn't healed in this. And it's a tragic misleading of something that just does not belong. It's very sad. There's a, a theologian named Craig Keener um, who has written a couple books on miracles. And, and what he's done is he's gathered numerous accounts of modern miracles from all around the globe. And um, in an article on the subject, I thought it was very interesting of what he had to say about it. And the quote will be here on the screen for you. It says, not everybody experiences physical healing in this life. But when God does any miracle, it is, it's a gift to every one of us. That is because it's a confirmation to us of God's promise of a world made new. Of the day when he will wipe away our tears and when death and suffering will be no more. Until then, as people of his kingdom, we keep working for people's health and security in every way available to us. Through medicine, through food, and sometimes through prayers for miracles that God hears and answers. We just don't want to have these wrong conclusions that there is this only one way and we're going to twist God's arm until he does it. No, God's blessed us in all sorts of ways to see him at work in this world and in this life. And finally, almost finished here, the the fourth mistake is that I think sometimes we have wrong expectations. And this is the the other side of it. Because we have things like what we just talked about, some of those abuses and some of those... um, you know, people that have gone wrong in describing the way that miracles should be happening all the time everywhere, we can make the wrong expectation on the other side that just says, well, miracles can't happen. There just can't be done. And I understand the pull toward rationality and, and our own experience, the whole seeing is believing. But guys, that's not really how we view other things in the world. I've never seen the Eiffel Tower or the Great Pyramids But I believe they exist. (laughs) They're there, even though I haven't seen them with my own eyes, right? Just because we don't see miracles daily doesn't mean that we should abandon our hope in them. Because if God is truly who God is, then he can do the things that he says he can do. And I think we really need to remain open to the potential of what God wants to do. God's bigger than us. God has a a wider view than any of us have. And God is capable of these sorts of things. I'm not going to make any false promises to you that if you pray hard enough, you do the right thing, that absolutely... No, I'm not going to say any of that. But God can do these sorts of things. And I think we should pray in faith, asking the Lord for a miracle when we need one. Ask for healing. Ask for provision. Jesus told us directly, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. Let's not be those people either. Let's pray. Let's ask for those things. Let's use all the resources that God's given us and see what he wants to do. Here's what I believe as I finish. God is at work in the world. He still is. And let's not miss miss the fact that the greatest miracle is really that its souls could be changed. That lives are transformed. It's an invisible miracle a lot of times. But when you look back on your own life and you see salvation that's come to you and the way that your whole view has been changed, it's miraculous, guys. God's doing miracles. He will do miracles in all those ways. And sometimes it's expressed in a really visible, miraculous way because nothing's impossible with God. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Him, not on a miracle, not on the fireworks, but on Him, there's no telling what we may be able to see. Pray with me, please. Father, I do thank you this morning for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for this story for us to see. And God, I pray this morning, if there's any here today, that um, this may be a a troubling message for them to hear. Um, Maybe I've challenged some people to believe in, in things that they have thought to be impossible. And if that's the case, Lord, um, I just pray, God, that, that you would speak to their hearts now. That you would be the one guiding and directing them as they're trying to sort through these things and understand these things. I believe that you've given us these sorts of stories in your word to instruct us and to shape not only what we know, but what we believe. And Lord, we want to be people that believe you in faith. You are the almighty God. You are the one above and beyond all other beings, all other things. And Lord, I know that there are times where we we come to spots in our lives where we need a miracle. And Lord, I believe that you're calling us to, to, to reach out to you in those times, to ask you for those things. And Lord, whatever your answer is, give us faith to trust you through it. That may result in something miraculous that we experience occasionally in our lives. Or it may be something completely different. But Lord, help us just grow as people of faith. People that know you, people that trust you, people that look to you in all things. Lord, I pray as we go through our week ahead, that we would wrestle through these things with you. Bring these things, these these thoughts, these ideas back to our minds and back to our hearts throughout the week. Let us process these things. Help us grow in faith as we pursue you. And Lord, I do also just want to pray uh, one more thing, one more request, Lord. God, if, if you would desire to do miracles among us as a church, as a church body, as a church community, Lord, I pray that we would be open to what it is that you want to do. I've seen a a few things, very few things in my life that definitely (laughs) lean into the miraculous zone. But Lord, I just pray that uh, I never would shut my heart off to your working, and and neither would any of my brothers and sisters here. But instead, Lord, that we would always be open to whatever it is you want to do in the way that you want to do it. But Lord, never let us just pursue the miracle. Let us always pursue you and what you wanna do with them and through us. Guide us this week, bless us this week. And uh, Lord, may we be those that are walking with you, know you and experiencing you in your fullness in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray.